33. This is another one of those uh, really long psalms, so I'm just going to walk through it and read it to you so we don't have to uh, painfully get to about verse 15 or 16 and struggle. So, um, But uh, this, this, is a, this is a really interesting psalm uh, in, in the sense that it is connected with the psalm before it. Um, in 10 different Hebrew manuscripts, Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 are actually one psalm. Um, that, that, that's how closely these two are drawn together. And, and if you remember last week, David is rejoicing because of the ability to confess and repent. And, and he is giving a psalm of thanksgiving that he is able to be made right with God. And so out of that then flows Psalm 33, which is a call to worship for believers acknowledging and understanding the gift that we've been given of confession and repentance. And so David is, is calling us into worship of God. And so that, that's the, the kind of overall theme of what David is wanting us to do in response to reading this psalm. And if you think about worship, if, if there's been anything that has divided churches, um, worship is, is right up there at the top of the list, right? That, it, it's one of those things that people divide over, and, and, and they divide over every little thing, right? Like, do we have instruments? Do we not have instruments? Do we just sing the psalms? Or do we sing hymns? Or do we sing new songs? What, what, what do we do? What, is the music too upbeat? Is it too fast? Is it too slow? Right? Everybody has their own tastes and opinions that they bring to church and then want the church to conform to whatever their tastes and opinions are. And instead, what I want to encourage you to do as we look through this psalm this morning is let God's Word guide us in what worship should look like. Now, having said that, this is one chapter of the Bible, right? So what we're going to look at today is one part of what worship should look like. I don't want you to leave here going, this is the only thing worship should look like, because that's not taking in the full counsel of the Word of God. But what's in this chapter should be a part of a normal, healthy Christian's worship. Okay? So let's keep that in mind, and we're going to kind of start this morning looking at the, the call to worship that David is, is going to do for us, uh, or, or call us to. So really, there, there's two topics this morning. There's the call to worship and the cause of worship. Okay, David's going to call us to worship in verses 1 through 3, and then he's going to spend the rest of the psalm giving us the reasons why we should worship. Does that make sense? So we got the call and we got the cause. So let's start in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now this Call to worship, if you notice, if you have your Bible and you just look back one verse in Psalm 32, you can see how these two psalms just kind of segue to one another. 
At the end of Psalm 32 and verse 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Right? So, so David is just transitioning out of this praise of thanksgiving for being able to confess and repent of a sin and to be declared righteous. And that just naturally in David's mind just rolls right into worship. We should worship the God who is willing to forgive, who's willing to forget our sin and to make us righteous again. And so David is calling us to worship. He starts there with shout for joy. I think if this would be written in the South, a better translation would be yell, right? Y'all need to yell as loud as you can. That's what David is calling for here. There's, There's a time for somber, quiet worship, but this isn't it. When you realize you've been forgiven of your sin, when you realize you've been made right, you should be yelling from your, the, the top of your lungs and praising Him for how good He is to us. But notice also there in verses 2 and 3, we're also to give thanks with the lyre, make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings, sing to Him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So David is kind of helping us understand what our worship of God should look like. The first thing I want you to notice, it should be accompanied by instruments. That that is a biblical way in which to do worship, okay? We're, We're to sing loudly, joyfully, and accompanied by appropriate instruments. Now, like I said, this is just one chapter. Over in Psalm 150, verses 3 through 5, it says this, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and the flute. Good job, Bob. Check. We're doing that this morning, yeah. Praise him with loud cymbals, so percussion instruments. (gasps) Drums. Praise him with resounding cymbals, right? So so you see that Israel had a variety of instruments that they worshiped God with, including the strings, the winds, and percussion. All of these things were part of worship in the nation of Israel in worshiping their God. And so for us, that's why we worship with instruments. That's why we have accompaniment. It's because it's biblical. But second, notice that worship should be fresh. That's the idea here in this command. Sing to him a new song. Now this is where some people struggle because they think, oh, we should just sing the old songs. To which I normally ask, what are they? Because you know there's some even older songs and some even older songs and some even older songs. You just want to sing the songs you sang as a kid that you liked and grew up with. It's not because they're holy. It's because it's what you like. It's what you're accompanied or accustomed to. And yet, God's Word is reminding us here that worship should be fresh. Every generation that experiences the truth of Psalm 32, every generation that experiences the confession and the repentance and being made right before God, should be writing new songs about that experience. And they should be singing those songs. Now, that doesn't mean we throw away all the old ones. I'm not saying that. But but there's an element here 
that worship should be fresh and from the heart of this generation. And the songs that connect with this generation may not connect with the previous generation or two generations or three generations. Guys, listen, I've seen so many churches. I can take you to some right now that they stopped singing new songs and the churches died. Matter of fact, I don't have to take you anywhere. You're sitting in one. They stopped singing new songs. They stopped letting a new generation connect with the truths of confession and repentance and expressing that in ways that connected with them. We need to have fresh worship. So worship should be accompanied by instruments. Worship should be fresh. But also notice... For those of you who are on the worship team, you're called to play skillfully. And the purpose here of playing skillfully is not to show off, right? It's not to show off like, oh, we got the best band in town. The, the point here is that we don't distract, right? There, there's nothing more distracting than all of a sudden one guy's offbeat and one guy's playing the wrong tune or, or one guy's just got completely out of key. Right? And you're out there and you're trying to worship, and all of a sudden you're like, well, what's that racket coming up there? When it works well, when it works the way the Bible calls us to worship, it should just blend into the background and just be a natural part of congregational singing and just encouraging everyone to worship without distraction. Playing skillfully honors God and it helps the congregation. It helps us to be able to sing and worship God. But also, we see in this call to worship that worship should be enthusiastic. Loud shouts, he says in verse 3. Right? He starts with shout for joy and then ends verse 3 of this call to worship with loud shouts. When praising God, we should show the energy and the emotion and enthusiasm that is proper and fitting for our King. We, we hoop and holler for all kinds of other things that are going to fade away. But do we do that same for our King, who is eternal? And, and I know for some of you, it's like, ah, that makes me uncomfortable. And, and listen, there, there are whole groups of of worship leaders out there that just like to play with people's emotions. I'm not talking about emotionalism, right? I, I don't know if you realize this, but they, they teach whole classes on, on how to get the, the, the people's emotions up and then down and then up and then down and then up. And right before the sermon, you just want to get them right back up there. And then the pastor comes out and like, woo! And it's like, I'm serious. They teach classes on how to do that. It has nothing to do with worshiping the living God who has saved you, who has redeemed you, but it has everything to do with a formula of playing certain songs that pull at the heartstrings at the right time to get you to have an emotional response. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you walking in and loving your God so much that you want to shout out and you want to worship no matter what we're singing, no matter what the songs are. You have a heart that is just genuinely burning in a desire 
to give glory to Him and to worship Him. We need to allow others to respond to truth and beauty of Jesus Christ as God has wired them to do. And ultimately, God is listening to our hearts. He's not watching all that stuff on the outside. He's, he's watching our hearts and seeing where are our hearts. It's just as easy to get set on worshiping worship music as it is to worship God. Do you hear me? It's just as easy to get set on worshiping certain kinds of worship music then you're really actually not worshiping God. You're just worshiping what you like. We gotta, man, our hearts are deceitful. We have to be careful. And God sees our heart, as we're going to see in just a minute. One of the reasons why we praise God is because He sees. He sees all. And He sees our hearts. And He hears you when you're shouting, but He also hears you when you're quietly groaning. Because life has just worn you down. He knows your heart. And he wants you to worship him. So that's David's call to worship there in verses 1 through 3. And then he's going to give us the cause of worship. Why, why we should be worshiping this God. And the first cause there is seen in verses 9 through 12. Or excuse me, let me back up to verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations. Oh, excuse me. Let, me. let me back up here. So the first thing that we see is we should be worshiping God because of his character through his very word. God, God works in our world through his word. Right? That, that's what David is saying here. For the word of the Lord is upright. It is righteous. Everything that God does is good. And God works, even, even as God works in the day, worked in the days of creation, he's still working like that today. See, so many people have this idea that, yeah, God spoke it all into existence, and then he just kind of stepped back. All right, well, let's see what happens. This will be interesting. That's not the picture that the Bible paints. The, the Bible paints a picture of a God who is active just as much today as he was in creation. Drawing him in. Drawing us in. And his works are an extension of his word and they reveal his character. When, when you look out into this world and, and, and you go out and just, you know, you get out on the water and you just see the beauty of nature. You go out west and you see the Grand Canyon and the mountains and, and all the things that God created. You, you see his character. You see his goodness. You know, sometimes I, I, I love science fiction and, and I enjoy watching different science fiction shows. And one of the things that I always find interesting 
about science fiction shows is sometimes people create these worlds that are just hellish. I mean, there's no other way to describe them. I mean, just everywhere you turn, there's something that will kill you. That could have been earth. But, but God made this place that is just full of goodness. Now, don't get me wrong. There's hot springs. If you fall into them, yeah, you're gone. Right? But, but it's not like that everywhere. He could have just as easily made it like that. But I would argue there's a lot more beauty and a lot more grace than, than there is just destruction and death. God's glory is reflected in the work of his creation. And the earth overflows with his steadfast love. The second reason for our worship is God's gracious will. So we worship him because of his word and his character, but we also worship him because of his gracious will. And we see that in verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Verse 10 says that he brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. This means that ultimately, like ultimately, God, nothing can block what God is doing. There's no amount of worldly opposition that can stop Jesus from building his church and from saving his people. Man, that, that's a truth that we need to let seek deep in our hearts right now. In, in, in this particular moment that we live in where we're worried and, and scared that all these things are going to happen to us and, and all there's, there's all these nefarious forces and they're all working against us, we need to remember what it says in verse 10. That he brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. You say, well, this is a global thing. I don't care. God's above that. I'm not afraid. Now, does that mean that we might not be persecuted? No, the Bible is very clear. That, that we may experience persecution. That has been a part a steady part of the history of the church. But I also know from studying history, every time we're persecuted, we grow. So even in the persecution, we win. Why? Because God wins. It's His plan. It can't be foiled by presidents. It can't be foiled by other country dictators and other leaders and all these other people in the world. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Because God sits above all of that. All the world's plotting is ultimately pointless. Instead, God's will and his purpose will stand forever. His plan for the universe is to set Christ on the throne of the universe and to bring everything in subjugation to him. This, his, his will is why we should praise Him. It, it, it's why, 
as Christians, when everything seems to be going wrong in the world, we should be able to walk into this building and praise Him. Because it doesn't matter what they do. God always wins. And we can have confidence and peace in knowing that this morning. God's will is wonderful news for us because it means our salvation. His plan to honor Christ. And we, because of Him honoring Christ, are blessed in Christ. The third reason for our worship is seen in verses 13 through 19. And that's God's gaze. So we worship him because of his word. We, we worship him because of his gracious will. We worship him because of God's gaze. Verse 13 says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God's eye is on everyone of us every single one of us and he considers everything we do the word observed there in verse 15 it has the sense of perceiving or understanding so god doesn't merely see what you do but he understands why you are doing it that's that's why i was saying in the beginning about our worship that that as we're worshiping right we're, we're worshiping God, and, and we might be doing all these things with our hands, or we may not be doing all these things with our hands, or we, but God is seeing why we're doing what we're doing. Are we doing it that, because that's just what we do? Or are we doing it because we genuinely love Him? See, God gaze, it sees not just what we do, but why we do it. Now, that complete knowledge should be terrifying if you don't know him. Because all those good things that you do for people to see, he knows why you really do them. All that little virtue signaling you might do, he knows why you're doing it. But God's complete knowledge should bring us as believers comfort this morning. Since God knows everything, he can protect us from everything and provide for us in every situation. He sees all. God, God sees. He knows. He understands all the small ways you're trying to honor him and put him first. And, and no one else may understand, but he knows your heart. God's complete knowledge for us means complete care. Guys, and that should lead us to worship Him. The joyful verses of 
1 through 3 is, is fueled by the powerful truths that we find throughout the rest of this psalm. He ends this psalm by saying, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The psalmist calls us to worship God because of his character that we see through his word. Because of his gracious will to us as believers. And because of his watchful gaze over us, his children. The point of worshiping God with energy and joy is not just to feel good, though. That, that may be a byproduct, but that's not the reason. We're, we're not worshiping to have some kind of amazing experience, right? There's, there's a hundred concerts you can go to and get an amazing experience. That's not what worship is about. The end result of true worship is a stronger faith. And, and listen, this is one of the reasons why worship is a grace from God. And, and why we as believers should not forsake the fellowship. We should not forsake gathering together to worship together. Because by worshiping together, when done biblically, will strengthen your faith. It will give you the, the resources and grace you need to live Monday through Saturday. That, that's why we gather Weekly. That's why we gather to worship weekly, to sing to Him. Because that worship, when it's true worship, it makes our faith stronger. You're strengthening your heart to trust God in the coming week. I talk to so many people in our counseling ministry, and they're struggling and they're having a hard time. And they don't know why. And I asked them, are you regularly attending church? Are you regularly worshiping God? Well, I, you know, maybe once a month I go. And I'm like, you're anemic. I'm like, what do you mean? You're spiritually anemic. You, you haven't worshiped God. You, you haven't given God the glory for everything in your life. And now you're expecting God to give you the grace to get through the day. See, your, your faith is weak. Because you're not feeding your faith. And we feed our faith through biblical worship of Him. That's how we feed it. So I want to encourage you this morning as you are praying and thinking about worship. And listen, that, that's corporate worship that we do as a body, but there's also family worship. You go home, sing with your family. Sing with your kids. That's one of the things I love about what we're doing with the, the little ones with Megan is, is teaching them some of the songs that we sing on Sunday so that you guys can sing throughout the week with your family while you're in your cars or while you're at home. Worship, biblical worship, at its ultimate end strengthens our faith and enables us to face whatever life throws at us. This morning, as we conclude and partake in communion, I, I want you to Spend some time just being honest with God. This is, 
Psalm 32 is still here. We, we can still confess and repent. Maybe some of you are sitting here going, man, I, some of my ideas of worship were way more about me than they were about the Bible. Maybe you've been guilty of judging and, and condemning other people because of the way they worship. Spend a few moments this morning and just confess and repent of those things. Get, get your heart right. And then, listen, come. And another form of worship is communion. Remembering what God has done for us on the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and when we partake of this bread and we, we take it and we dip it into the wine, that, that bread representing His body and that wine representing His blood that was shed for us so that we might be righteous, so that we might be forgiven. Oh, let that, let that bring your heart to praise this morning as we worship in communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For allowing us to worship you. And Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts. Help us to see where we have let our own opinions, our own ideas, our own preferences even, prevent us from worshiping you. The way you call us to worship. God, may we find forgiveness this morning and turn in repentance and, and begin to, to follow you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, as we come this morning and partake in communion, celebrating what your son has done, God, I, I pray this leads to so much joy in our hearts. Lord, and it will strengthen us for the week to come. And the Lord, that we, we will not be spiritually and worship anemic in our life, God. That, that that means of grace will will flow freely in our lives and in our hearts as we regularly make that a practice in our life. Not just on Sunday mornings, but extending out through the rest of the week as well. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for seeing us this morning, for knowing our hearts. We praise you for that. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.